This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You are listening to the Joe Rogan Experience Review Podcast. We find little nuggets, treasures, valuable pieces of gold in the Joe Rogan Experience Podcast and pass them on to you, perhaps expand a little bit. We are not associated with Joe Rogan in any way. Think of us as the talking dead to Joe's walking dead. You're listening to the Joe Rogan Experience Review. What a bizarre thing we've created. Now with your host, Adam Thorne. This might either be the worst podcast or the best one Two. of all time. One, go. Enjoy the show. Hey, guys, and welcome to another episode of the Joe Rogan Experience Review. What's this week? Well, I'm joined by Todd. That's Todd. Oh, thank you, sir. What's up? Sorry. Didn't mean to cut you off. Nice to see you. Yeah, no worries. No worries. Good to see you. Uh, This week, um, we got a few people on, but we're going to break it up once again, really because I want to get into Brian Murrescu. Um, I knew this guy was coming on as soon as Joe bumped into him in Greece and they went to see fucking Axl Rose play Dude. Guns N' Roses. Yes. Um, but yeah, the, the author of the Immortality Key, I mean, he's definitely somebody that Joe has stayed in good contact with. I think his wealth of knowledge in areas that interest Joe have just kind of really created a solid friendship. And... Um, yeah, I had been surprised that Brian hadn't been on again for so long, but, uh, great to have him on yeah. as always. I was very excited. Cause I, I don't remember listening to Brian the last time he was on. I think that was before I was the co-host. And so I was mm-hmm. stoked because I, the immortality key has, a, has been a book on my list for a while. I have yet to read it. Have you read it yet? No, I haven't, but I've seen a bunch of excerpts from it and I've seen really cool articles that I've read reference a bunch of material from it so it's yeah. it's just like one of those there's so many fucking good books out there dude mm-hmm. it's like hard to get through them all but you but, can make <clears throat> but is, isn't it true you and i've chatted about this isn't it true that there's actually a class about this at harvard now yeah and now it sounds like there's another class they it's we can get into this later but there's a class at yale now that is run by another <clears throat> scientist slash uh, with with the sciences and the arts, that's kind yeah, of yeah, I believe so. Talking about I mean, you, similar things, you know, because it's it's it, there's something happening right now with psychedelics that's like not as controversial as it used to be, um, and I think the push is coming from how effective the therapies have been with veterans yes. with PTSD. Yeah, with MDMA. So of course, MDMA is the that biggest pulls. One. Yeah, that pulls the Republicans in because they want to help these people and make them fixed. And then, you know, the left is just more chill about well, psychedelics. I, so I, it's it's like they're coming together a little bit. I it's think, not super fast, but I think that's kind of the interest behind this whole movement. Okay, I need to interject for a second. The Republicans say they want to help with PTSD. Let's Let's see if they actually want to help. And this is Republicans and any politician says they want to help with veterans, but we all know that the VA hospitals are total shit. So 
just going to throw that out there from all the veterans I know that get screwed over by our government. I'm sorry, guys. Thank you for, you know, representing our country and your service. But man, they're still getting fucked over. So I would love to agree with you on that. But I think the I think the suicide rate, you know, is just alarming for everybody. And since since there is just like no other really effective Right. Um, right. Treatments. Right. That I people are getting desperate, no, and they're I like, agree. whatever it takes. You I know, agree. I think and... I think that it's starting to lean that way. I mean, dude, I knew people that went to um, Iraq and Afghanistan, and when they got back, they were struggling with PTSD, and they put them on all kinds of like wacky medication. Right. That Which... is like just basically numbs them and makes it impossible for them to quit the drug. Or yeah, right? I can't even remember impossible. what half of those are called, but they're awful. Well, it's any sort of antidepressant, right? So any SSRI that's going to just numb you. I've been on SSRIs before. I'm glad I, I was able to get off of them, but it wasn't easy. And guess what? Uh, the best thing for me was to get my ass up every morning, go to work. And again, I w- have never been to war, so I'm not saying that it's easy. But for me, it, in order to get off of those, I had to go work out every day. Go for a run every day, you know, do the things like get outside, get some sun on your face, do the hot, cold, you know, water therapy. The, all those things were helpful. But man, I mean, like you said, you look at the stats with people with PTSD, with the MDMA treatment and having like a therapist and the correct set and setting it, it is massive. I mean, some of these people were on ready to kill themselves and now they're having wonderful lives because of that psychedelic therapy so amen i hope it i hope it keeps going in the right direction yeah i i think what what you're talking about is like the uh, i think what it what it does you know when you get outside and you do with these different things it's like peaceful time to yourself you work on your body you don't feel lazy you don't feel like a piece of shit right you know and then <clears throat> and then it helps you find your purpose so these guys getting back from war and gals, that that approach, you know, probably does help. You know, it's not it's not bad to add those things, but it might not be enough, right? Because right. what they've seen, what they've been through is just so much. Yeah. That ultimately finding a purpose when you've seen like atrocities or you've just been like blown up a bit. Mm, and yeah. then, you oh, know, that's... you have that that kind of like um hormone <sighs> you know deregulation where it's like you're not even creating the right hormones so you so you're all over the place something like just exercising and those other things it, it might not be enough no it's right? clearly to, it clearly is not enough it's not enough. but where this is where psychedelics come in yeah because absolutely. they're seeing more and more through maps and um the the kind of work that like rick doblin is doing and those types yeah, of people. yeah ricky he's the man dude yeah, dude. And, and I, you know, it's like a reset to some degree. Now, it doesn't last forever, but it, it buys you some time. Right. It's like the equivalent of a, a long, peaceful meditation plus a good run and plus a good bit of exercise. It just gives you a break from the that thinking yeah. that is so difficult. And then, and then you can kind of regroup and come at it from another direction and find a reason to keep 
moving forward. Well, isn't isn't that the beauty of the psychedelic treatment is that you're not doing it every day. I mean, maybe microdosing helps, but you know, we've seen that some of the stats on microdosing for depression and this is just for depression, not for PTSD, but they're saying that microdosing may not work. It's the hero doses that actually have a it's much more doses. significant uh reaction and significant uh uplift. Dude, I, I I know a lot of people, I, and I would say a lot. I would know ten plus people that really enjoy mushrooms, yeah. right? And they occasionally like to do some big doses. Maybe not always hero, but they do some. They get into it. They want to get introspective, right? As much as any of them love mushrooms, nobody's fucking doing it like every day, dude. No, 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 no. well, nobody. people are microdosing every day, but yeah, but that's way different. Yeah, that's different, and and it seems to in the at least in the research that I've seen and the the books that I've read, you know, Michael Pollan is a, is a huge example. His movie, the, um, oh God, what was that movie that came out on Netflix where they talk about MDMA? Oh, it was so good. Yeah. What is that uh, called? Through the Lens, Fuck. Through the Lens or something. Uh, mm, you're you're going to have to look that up. Yeah. <clears throat> I'll look the, it up. You keep talking. I want to say Through the Looking Glass, but that's Alice in Wonderland. Um, but the, the research on MDMA was the strongest for PTSD. And the gentleman that they interviewed in there was suicidal. He came back from Afghanistan, I believe, maybe Iraq, maybe both. And he just, again, yeah, no purpose, no good feelings every day. Just, you know, every day he just hated his life. And then he did, I think, three MDMA treatments uh, throughout a period of like three years. And that was all it took. It was like one treatment a year in a in a you know a setting with a psychologist and you know it was <clears throat> it was obviously done in the correct set and setting he went to a doctor to get the prescription and you know it, it needs to be done the right way this isn't this isn't we're not talking about taking drugs and going to a fucking rave we're talking about taking drugs with a professional who knows what they're doing and you put the ipad the eye patch on and you have some music and Again, I'm. I don't know exactly how they do it, but from what I've heard, it's a very, um, you know, it's it's a controlled environment where they know what they're doing, and you're getting through those emotions. You're getting out the anger. You're getting out these suppressed emotions that you've had to just bury inside yourself. I mean, think about it. You're seeing. You're in. You're at war with something or someone, and you're seeing. This, like you said, these atrocities and these horrific scenes, you have to bury that. You can't think about that shit every day, so you bury it. You have to become numb to it just to survive. It's, I mean, it's well, the, ridiculous. What we're pointing to is that there's, there's a clear value there for certain people. And this is what Brian is talking about when he's discovering all these like ancient cultures, you know, especially the Greeks and the Romans are doing it too where they are clearly using psychedelics. And this isn't some sort of like hippie rave culture of the Greeks. Yeah. It was like their way to speak to the gods. Right. And speak you know? to the dead too. They talk a lot about yeah, that. Right. Yeah. Speaking to the dead, yeah. trying to really figure out, you know, a lot of the questions that they had. Right. I mean, clearly if you've. Well, talking and speaking to the dead, what about that? Like, what was the homo nalady? Oh, homo nalady. Homo nalady. Yep. Right. So it's um, the Cave of Bones documentary. So I watched that. 
Okay, now, I didn't see it. And this was in South Africa. They discovered her. They're saying within two hundred and fifty to three hundred and thirty thousand. Or sorry, yeah, two hundred fifty yeah, to yeah, three hundred and thirty thousand right. years old in a cavern. Right, so way older than Homo sapiens that we know of. Right, they had smaller brains, about the size of an orange. But what's crazy about it is like that's easy to dismiss. Is like, oh, they're dumb because the if you look at like the Homo um, sapiens species line, yeah. well, all of the different Homo ones, the oh, they their brains were getting larger, okay. and for some reason, in the middle of it all, it is this Homo naledi. And that had a smaller brain. Yet there shows evidence of like complex burial rituals, right? Which we didn't know that other species did, other than the uh, Neanderthals, though, right? Other than Neanderthals. yeah, and that was the one thing they didn't say. I mean, Neanderthals obviously did it, but I guess we just count them as like pretty close to us. Mm -hmm. But either way, like more, like less developed um, species. Right. Not only that, there was cave drawings. That they found not really drawings, but like, but like some sort of scratching, kind of etching, artwork, whatever that it meant. Maybe it was some sort of language that they had, primitive. But but they also had tools, and they also buried their dead with tools. And mm. why that's significant is because tools are super valuable. And if you didn't think about the afterlife, right? If you didn't, it, okay. So let's say you were smart enough to make tools. Or your your like little clan was, but you know you're still so primitive. You don't give a shit about the afterlife. You don't think about that. You just your brain isn't developed enough to like think beyond it. As soon as that thing dies, you take all the stuff that they have that's useful. Obviously, because you know making these stone tools is hard work. Mm -hmm. You would just take them, but they weren't. It looks like they were burying them with their dead, yeah. and these. Creatures just look like apes that could stand up. They pretty much look like apes, yeah, with maybe a larger face and a Dude, little that is bit bigger like, brain. Yeah, that is solid, like, Stone Age behavior. Yeah. It's kind of a bummer that they didn't, like, live on somewhere, that we just didn't have just one island where we I guess we probably wiped them out. Other humans just probably knew where they were and wiped them out, saw them as a threat. Mm -hmm. You know, whereas other monkeys are just, you know, dumber and not a problem. So we just left them. Yeah. But it's a really fucking super interesting documentary. And the fact that they went into this cave through like these narrow caverns, like carried dead bodies in there, took them all the way to the back. I mean, if you watch it, it's like there's no way they didn't do that without some fire because they just wouldn't be able to see where they're going. Yeah. Right. Right. So they can make fire, dude. <clears throat> well, These monkeys could make fire. Well, he, he basically what, monkeys. Well, is what, what, I'm saying. what Brian was saying is that uh, that he was referring to the Homo Homo naledi as maybe the first apes. I mean, really, they're apes. Let's let's be honest. But apes with bigger brains were the first ones to to make fire. That Homo naledi was maybe the first of our ancestors to make fire, which is incredible. We're talking three hundred and thirty thousand years ago, dude. Wow. Dude, that's so long ago. So cool. And then, yeah. yeah, like you said, caves are being used. Um, You know, he goes on to talk about with ancient societies, were caves being used to hide things? We don't know. Or was it just something about going underground to, like, get into the womb of the earth? These, You know, the ancient Egypts, 
Egyptians obviously did that. I mean, that's way further back, but or for mm-hmm. closer to us. But you know, there's but again, you, there's you've this... seen those ancient um, um, caves like in and around Turkey, right? Oh, dude, those the ones, ones that are they're that huge. Like, yeah, they're like seven, eight stories deep. Oh, dude. And what's what's really interesting about them is they didn't find almost any artifacts in them, and you can't carbon date anything because it's stone. Right. Right, that so was in they, uh, they yeah Graham they like Hancock's. assume that they're X years old, but really they have no idea. Right, they and could that, be so much older. It could be fifty thousand years old. We we just have right. no idea. But that was that was in Graham Hancock's documentary, right? That's what yep, I saw. hundred percent. I mean, they were they were talking about like a a, a maybe thirty thousand people living underground at some point. Yeah, and it's not just that it was thirty thousand people living down there. It was the fact that. They could take animals in there. They had ventilation shafts. There was they. It's like they understood how carbon dioxide would build up in certain areas, so right. they it would like pressurize the air out, so there was good airflow, and they could still lock all the doors mm. with these huge stone wheels that they roll over. I mean, the f- just awesome. the fact that we like kind of blow that off is like, yeah, that's kind of cool. I no, guess that was just people in, that built, you know, dug tunnels. It's like, no, it's, it's all out of stone, dude. It's incredible. I don't know even know how we would do that right now with the technology we have now. We should probably yeah. figure it out considering, you know, we're basically on the brink of World War Three. Maybe we should figure out how to live underground to save ourselves. I don't know. Just saying. It'd be a pretty safe house. Yeah. Pretty safe place all to right, get so, set up. So for they sure. also go into, I, th- I thought it was extremely interesting, you know, obviously... Joe is so into talking about AI, which makes sense. AI is such a a, a big deal right now. But I, uh-huh. I appreciated Brian's uh, when when Joe started talking about AI and ancient societies and who we are, who we think we are. Um, you know, Joe talks about again about being burdened by existential angst, fear of death. You know having an ego, greed, envy, all the things that humans are dealing with. But what if AI doesn't have all that? Maybe they will figure out how to get rid of that ego, and then all of a sudden we're going to learn way more through them because we're not worried about all the shit we worry about on a day-to-day basis as humans. I Again, he's, he's talked about this a lot, but I appreciated Brian's answer, which was, yes, I understand what you're saying, Joe, but... We're so creative and AI, how is AI going to be as creative as us? Why would AI want to make music, right? Like why do humans want to make music? Well, it's almost like it's in our DNA to be creative. It's in our DNA to make things. Yes, we want to be innovative. And Joe talks about this all, all the time about we just were this society that has to be innovative and we have to create. But where does that come from? That's, that's a human thing that we have over every other mammal on earth, right? Like bees. Do bees know that they're making honeycombs? We don't know. But we clearly know that we're making music for a reason because it's like in our DNA, like we have to create. And and that was an interesting point. Uh, you know, didn't they play that song? They played the song by the guy who like, I think this was, I was on this podcast where they played the song of that dude. He sounds like an old, like 50 year old rancher. The kid was like in his 20s. And mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, AI, yeah. AI is not going to create that song. You know, I'm not convinced, really. I don't know it, if it, I am it, either. It's it's, it's so much of the talk of, like, what robots could do 
it was always seen as the last arts that they could do well would be, you know, comedy, maybe. Or writing. Or anything creative, yeah. right? However, I think we're seeing now that there actually might be a path for them to do that really well and really fast very quickly. Right. right? Instead of driving They're not going to come to your house and be a plumber anytime soon. That's probably not going to happen. Right. But, you know, why not? I mean, what it can do is take all of the type of music like that and make something enough different. You know, it can just analyze even the same artist and be like, all right, let's take Nirvana, right? And then look at their first songs to their last songs, how they changed, look at which ones were the hits. I mean, it's almost like the more data you give it, the better a chance it has. And then a big thing that AI does that people don't really think about, I mean, just playing with ChatGPT, I was asking it questions today, and it started to give me two columns of answers. And it would ask me which one I liked the best. Mm. And then it would just lean into that one. So imagine if it could do it with music. If it was just like it had 10,000 humans that were interacting with it, it creates a beat. It's like, hey, which beat really lands with you guys? It takes an overall average. Then it adds some lyrics and says, which which bits sound like this artist or mm -hmm. which which is resonating with you. It can just make averages and keep leaning on it. Yeah. No, you're right. I, I mean, look. it's not it's not like it's not getting feedback, right? And even an artist doesn't really get that. They have to make a song, show their producer, you know. Um, There's a lot of extra work steps. with freaking Rick Rubin. Oh, and that's my Hopefully dog. his genius tells you that it's a good song and other people that know music. And then ultimately you just release it or put it on the radio. But technically AI has like a chance to test it in the market with people that would like it before it even hits that. Yeah. I mean, our, our kids are, I think you're right. I, I would have to agree with you because I'm, I'm more on Joe, Joe's side with this, especially because you and I have worked with AI quite a bit to make stories and, come up with, you know, imagery. And like you said, these are things that we didn't think. And even Sam Altman talked about it last week. He didn't even think that AI was going to be good at all the creative things. And it seems to be that they're actually better with creative stuff than they are with driving trucks or, you know, working on an assembly line. Well, maybe well, we're assembly just, line we're is just not, not so the best. used to machines of factories. Right. That's right? just what we think. I of. think that's what it is. And yeah. then we made the Roomba and it can, you know, do the vacuuming. And then we made some drones. And that's really how we've looked. And then Boston right. Dynamics makes those robots that do backflips. But it still right. really can't, you know, do much else. That's right. really where we've been thinking of robots. But ultimately, artificial intelligence, it's like, well, it's just a massive data collection system that pulls right. from all of our data. Yeah. It just collects it better than we do. And if you think about what a good artist is, musician, writer, um, graphic designer, whatever, they're being shown and taught things that other people did, and then they make it slightly better. Yeah. Well, every every artist is just stealing from another artist. I mean, you're 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 taking what you know is good. I mean, it's it's like when I do it. Yeah, I mean, layout. I guess you could say that. It's it's probably probably less stealing and more just like that one percent incremental improvement. Yeah, but it's you're, like but you're I'm looking. inspired by this, so I'll make it 
like that, but a bit better. Right. And, and then you, you have just to, go from that. You have to look at other people's art to make better art. You're, you're looking at the past artists just like AI would be. That was the point. It's yeah, like, I get it. But would you describe your ability to speak English as stealing the words from your parents it's that different. taught it to you? It's different. It's different. If I was a writer, right, I'm going to... I'm going to have writers in from the past that I appreciate and enjoy and like, and they have a, st- a certain style, and I'm going to not copy that style, but my style is going to be similar to those greats that I have been influenced by. Just like you're yeah. saying with AI. They can do that in milliseconds, whereas it would take us years, decades to do that. And I think that's where it's finding its groove. Yeah, You know, I mean, didn't Brian also talk about that he perceives a world where maybe governments or politicians will have AIs draw up legislation? I hope so. Potentially. I hope so. You know, like non-emotional legislation. Like, hey, we've run the numbers and the best thing to do is pump some money into these poor communities so that they are 20% less likely to have you know, X amount of criminals and it'll bump up their like average living, which yeah. overall improves, I you sure know, they can extrapolate so. out. Or how about, you know, war is not good for our economy. It's only good for a very extremely small percentage of people, you know? Oh, so, dude, the U.S. On. government, the industrial fucking military complex will hack that system and make it change its mind. It can't afford that answer. Yeah. Yeah. They'd get Mm. in hard and be like, you know what? It's not all bad. Sometimes war is good. So, yeah. So I think, yeah, human creativity is what makes us human. I get that. But yes, there is no reason in my mind that AI can't do it just as good as we can. I mean, it's just being taught from us really. And, it's mm-hmm. going to end up starting to teach itself. It's already doing that. So it's interesting times, bro. Hopefully, at, you know, to, to end the AI conversation, I think hopefully we can figure out a way that AI does start taking over some of our government so that we're not at war all the time because it's not good for the planet. Yeah, or it just runs our systems more effectively, right? Right. Right. You're probably going to be able to outsource a lot. Like, just take the U.S. Postal Service, which has always made a loss. If they just had AI systems figure out the best routes, you know, the most effective ways to get mail from aid, you know, it could just run a lot of the logistics mm-hmm. that right now we've just got humans doing, and that's probably not the best way to do it. Yeah. And we could do that with many d- different government things. Many. I'm hopeful. I-, I think it's useful. Love that. We'll find out. What did you think about how great was that story of them both meeting Axel Rose? Oh, it was wonderful. I mean, luckily Rogan was there because Axel had no idea who Brian was. <laughs> it's just some yeah, fanboy. He was he got waved <laughs> away and then Rogan went in like a boss and yeah. just owned it. Good thing he had some whiskey. I love that so. Rogan didn't take really any credit for it either. He was just like, Oh dude, I was drunk. And just like that was it. Yeah. But, yeah, that was dope. How about yeah. what about those deer, dude? With the with on the farm with the protein tablets, how fucked up were the were those antlers? I mean, just these huge, crazy looking antlers that I mean, they were gross looking. It would just didn't even yeah. make any sense. It's just weird. 
Woods like not natural, right? Yeah. You just find out what they need to eat to make their antlers grow to a ridiculous um size. Yeah, and gross. then just feed them that. It's, it's gross. Like, and then have people go deer hunt on them. steroids. And then have you know, rich people go hunt them just so they can put that up on their wall. I don't want to see that. That was weird. Well, um well, how about be. the Hobbit people? That was cool. I, I hadn't heard much about the Hobbit people. What the the Homo Florencienos, Ciencos, Florencienos, because they were from Flores, 18,000 mm-hmm. years old. So 18,000 years old, not that old. I mean, we were living with Mm-mm. we were living with hobbits, bro. Yeah. I guess um the biggest wins. I mean, they they were saying we coexisted with these with these folks. I mean, J.R.R. Tolkien knew what was up, dude. Great book. Uh-huh. Yeah. They were hobbits. And they, you know, kind they, of a bummer that we got rid of them. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying we wiped everything out. Maybe they just got wiped out. But it, it <laughs> seems it seems around the time we really started to get, you know, our technology together that all of a sudden, you know, all the rest of the species got destroyed by us. Well, or, you know, Christopher Columbus just comes in and all the, you know, the... <sighs> Islanders. Thank you. The natives here, uh, not Americans, uh, indigenous people were then taken out by the plague. I mean, that's really what took them out. Same with the Spaniards going down south. So really it's, you know, well, disease. Smallpox. Well, right. Disease took them out more than, than anything else. We didn't shoot them all. True. That so is ma- true. Maybe that's what happened to the hobbits, dude. They, we, we gave them some weird disease we don't even know about. Maybe, maybe they were deficient in vitamin D, you know? That's what took everyone Imagine, out. Imagine if that's all it was. <laughs> it was just like the we homo sapiens just had the strongest immune systems, and eventually we gave everyone colds yeah. and wiped all the other species out. That makes more sense to me. Could be. Yeah. Or we wanted their land. Or we just, we just ate, went and we just, them. You know, it, we ate better. We were better hunters. Or, we, you know, maybe we because mm-hmm. we ate better, we had a better immune system. We had more vitamin D in our system or whatever it may be to keep us alive longer. And, you know, the hobbits couldn't run as fast, so they weren't fucking getting as many deer in their in their bodies. They weren't They, weren't they couldn't hunting. see as far, that's they, for sure. They were shitty hunters, you know, vegetarians maybe. I don't know. Maybe the way they were so small. There you go. There you go. Oh, I wanted to talk about uh, Joe's other club that he didn't buy mm. and the cult. So the documentary is called Holy Hell, which he's brought up many times, and I hadn't watched it. I did also watch that this week. Nice. And, that was about the club in uh, Austin that had a, a cult leader? Mm-hmm. Okay. It barely touches on the club. You see it being built, like, towards the end. The documentary, though, is fascinating. Definitely worth a watch. Great name, Holy so, Hell. Dude, it is It's just crazy to watch how these people get sucked in by this cult leader. And, you know, really he's just like this foreign failed actor that went into porn, gay porn, and kind of covered it all up and just started to get people to follow him while he did ballet and yoga, do everything he says. Then there was this, like, big push against them. So he disappeared, went out to Austin, and pulled his crew out there, you know, built that place, 
but was like a lunatic about it. And then the scenes where it showed like the interviews of the guys that were like having therapy with him, having to pay him, and then he had sex with them. Mm. It just, like, these people, dude, were pulled in for like 25 years. Yeah. It wasn't like four years of cult life. Wasn't it weird that every cult, I feel like every cult that there's been a documentary on, it has something to do with intercourse or, se- you know, just having sex with the other members. It's always some it's crazy. It's always that. It it's always goes always to that. some crazy leader. I mean, you look at Mormon Mormonism, in my mind, is, a, is just a cult with a bunch of people who just want to fuck, you know, 12 different wives. And it just seems, you know, to them, it's totally normal. To us, it's like, no, something's not right here. Well, the dude in this one ended up at the very end. He like most of his people left. There was all this controversy. People were like, you know, very frustrated with him. And he was getting very defensive and weird, of course. And he ended up moving to Hawaii. He's still going. He's still going and doing like culty shit out there mm. today. Mm. So, so like that's not the only one, dude. We just like there's other cults right now that are super active, being culty. The people in it don't realize that it's a cult. Their family members can't get them away from it. Yeah. And it's going to take five, 10, however many years before we see another documentary on those ones. Yeah. Before what we was just the, like uh, these poor bastards. What was the cult in Waco, Texas? The guy that ended up, you know, they, seized his house and ended up killing a bunch of people our government did what was what was the one in waco yeah waco. what was his what was name? That guy's name i can't think of his name but there was a documentary that came out in the within the last few years oh david koresh koresh same thing koresh yeah. was was banging all the all the women in that house all of them you know claiming to be a good christian and look what happens mm-hmm. there they, you know, he, he was he was basically forcing people to stay there. No one was getting hospitalized for anything that happened. And that was a crazy documentary too. But similar similar thing. He's just some weird guy who everybody believed for some reason. Uh, an outcast. Well, dude, it was it was pretty messed up. But the FBI went in there and basically it resulted in everybody burning to death. Yeah, no. I, I mean, mean, I'm not I'm not saying it was all their fault. I, hear or, you. I don't know whose I fault it is. But it is, it's not a good look. No, the way the way that our government handled that was horrible. I mean, we started Her- horrible. Yeah, dude. we started we started taking tanks and just like smashing his fucking vehicles. I mean, of course he's going to be pissed and start retaliating. I would too. I get it. Like I feel for the people that died, obviously. But I don't really feel for David Koresh. But I would I feel for the no. people that followed his dumbass. Yeah. Well, that was a big part of the Holy Hell documentary, too. But So that happened while they were still in Austin. So they had to, basically, the leader was worried the same thing was going to happen to him. So they all started to have to be, like, real coy and pretend that they weren't doing culty shit because he was worried the FBI were going to come and just wreck him, too. Yeah, raid his um, place. Yeah. So were they I all mean, living in the in the building then? Um, in this one, it was a bit different. I, he was very controlling, but they, each person kind of had their own lives. They, they, a lot of them were quite successful, ran their own businesses. You know, they had good money coming in. Um, Mm -hmm. but if somebody like wanted to date someone or if, you know, one lady got a dog 
and he was super annoyed about it because he doesn't like dogs. <laughs> yeah, he was just like, you can't have the dog. That is not for us, and it is not what God wants. And oh. she's like, it's a fucking dog, man. Oh, man. Who? What about the uh, Epsom salt thing, those those salt bank baths? We've we've both done that. How? I mean, that's a very trippy, very cool thing. I can't think of the name of those those salt pods. Oh, the um, deprivation tanks. Yeah, deprivation tanks. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize Shout out to Float Lab. The guy who started Venice. that was really, you know, just trying to create a psychedelic psychedelic experience uh, through that you know, sitting in one of those little chambers, you know, like having your, the, the, uh-huh. the Epsom salt, you know, you're floating. I mean, I've gone in there completely sober and I had a psychedelic experience when I was in there. I was like seeing stars and I felt like I was in the desert. I, I remember vividly, I was, I was definitely without a doubt tripping out in that tank. Like I was, where did you, I was where did you do one of those? There's one in Bozeman. There was one in Bozeman. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. And then the second time I went in, I smoked a bunch of weed before I went in, and then I really tripped out. But I could feel my heart. I felt like I could just feel my heart beating too fast. So it freaked me out <laughs> a little bit. I got a, got a little paranoid in the tank. But, but uh, you're not like a big weed guy, though, are nah, you? No, it makes me paranoid. That shit's too strong. I'm not, a, yeah, I'm yeah. not a huge weed guy. Um, well, but, if you did less, you'd probably be all right. Yeah. Um, I, just, I used to go to the one in Venice, Float Lab, um, that um crash owns and i think rogan has invested in float labs out there so he's he's a big reason why i think the west is it west hollywood or maybe just hollywood location opened up uh which is really nice crash has he's like a mad scientist he definitely has the best float tanks i've ever seen they're huge containers Mm -hmm. you know it's like half a shipping container it's so well made um it just brilliantly isolating well, you know it's soundproof cool, very like, cool therapy very and it cool. is very trippy it is very trippy i recommend if if you can manage edible marijuana you yeah. know and you know your dosages yeah um that you're comfortable with you don't have to go crazy in there but like if you can manage it and you're comfortable with it um take those yeah eat and some, eat some get edibles, in there. eat some edibles before you go in yeah, I mean, I did one time. I did four and a half hours in one of those. Ooh. A long time. How much weed? How yeah, much edibles so did you eat? I did quite a lot. Like, well, quite a lot for me. Like I think mil? it was like a twenty-five milligram cookie. Okay. And I, I and and I'm quite sensitive to um, edibles. Like a five milligram edible works well for me for like a good yeah. few hours. I'm right there like, with you. I'm, I'm feeling it. So 25 <laughs> is like, I don't really want to be in public and chat with people. So no. Some people can handle that. No, no problem. get way too paranoid. But I got dropped off there and my girlfriend at the time dropped me off and I get in crash meets me. Cause he was working. He's mostly always working at the Venice location, though he has other people that work there. And he's like, Hey man, he's always super chilled and just like this hippie freaking scientist. And he's like, yeah, yeah, uh, just go in. Everything's good, blah, blah, blah. I get in there. And because I'm pretty fucking high, I I just thought the time was going slow, but in my mind, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. usually I got a feel for it. I've done, because he does, he, he does it for like two hours. 
he he likes to book two hour sessions, which is really nice. I think that's the best way to do it because you need some time to get comfortable and get into yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Two hours was always good. And I was sure I got to like the two hour mark and I was like, why is he not come in? And I said, you know what? It's because it's in your mind and you're rushing and you like just relax into it. Obviously, he's not going to leave you in here. It ended up being so long that my girlfriend at that time called down to float lab and was like, Hey, I dropped my boyfriend off and he had eaten quite a lot of edibles <laughs> and he hasn't come back from the float tank. And crash was like, Oh shit. He was just like in his own world. He just left me in there. Forgot about you. Yeah. He just, I mean, I was safe. Nothing was going to happen. Yeah. I think I needed to pee pretty bad, but yeah. Yeah. I was just pee in there. It's fine. It'll float. You know, a lot of people probably do. And he has, <laughs> he has really good filtration <laughs> systems, but I always felt like, I always felt like, nah, that's a bit disrespectful. But yeah. I'm telling you, man, the the longer you could tolerate in one of those things, um, I I I would say that if ever I was in a position to have like one bowl of luxury expense, like forget a swimming pool, yeah, forget like those types of things. If I could afford one of those float tanks, I'd I'd fucking get one for sure. Yeah, they're really no. That it's nice. it, it was a great experience. I felt very uplifted for uh, about a week. I I think the first couple days when I got out of there, I felt like I was floating. I felt lighter. Um, mm -hmm. You know, because it's like a forced meditation. You it's really hard to get into one of those float tanks and not feel relaxed. And I just remember, uh, you know, I was doing like whale sounds in there. Like you can just you can hear your breath. And you can feel yeah. your heartbeat, and it just gets you. Yeah, into there's this, like no stimulus. It's like you're it's in a very womb. Strange. It's straight up like you're in the womb again. Like you just yep. can hear everything. You don't know which way is up or down. I mean, I remember being like, "Am I? Did I turn around in here? Did I? Am I sideways? Like I just you you have no sense of like what's up mm -hmm. or down, left or right. It's very strange. You you do almost get like an odd vertigo. Yeah. Where yep. you feel like the whole thing is like tipping backwards or something. Right. But you're not. You're right. like, it's just because you can't figure out where gravity is pulling you. Exactly. It's like weightlessness. Exactly. Yeah. It's like being in outer space, I would imagine. Yeah, I think Pretty so. Cool. It's making well, me want to do one right now. Me too, buddy. Well, let's let's get into a couple things right at the end here. Um, speaking of this, you know, the, the trip while dreaming, they talked about, you know, feeling like they were on DMT while they were dreaming. Um dreams where he took some sort of potion in the dream, this overwhelming feel of calm and serenity. I mean, I, I've had those dreams before. I actually felt that when I, when I drown, I had that same exact feeling of just like, everything's going to be okay. Everything's hmm. good. It, no. And they, they, they've talked about how that's the pituitary gland, you know, giving you that natural DMT, which is this feeling that everything is completely okay, completely calm, ser serene, um, so that, that was something I had wrote down in my notes, but then it goes on to talk about that, the, uh, the ancient, um, pharmacology class that they're now teaching in Yale, which is really cool. So now not only is it in Harvard, but it's in Yale. So nice work <clears throat> East coast. Let's go. Um, yep. And then they finally talked about, again, I, I was hoping they'd talk about the vessels more and the finding the ergot in these vessels. There was really not a bunch of talk about it other than right at the beginning and right at the end. And right at the end, Brian, I, go ahead. I don't think he has enough access yet to yeah. 
the museum pieces so right. that he can test what's in them. Well, right. So I think really that's was... what it's coming down to. So museums out there fucking yeah. give him access so he can check those things right. out, right. see what's in them. Right, because they, they said they only found one of the 10 miniature cups that they found in that place, which is now modern-day Spain, that actually had ergot in it. It was these mm. little mini- miniature vessels. And then, uh, oh, and then also they found it in a tooth that was tested. There was sediment of the ergot that was found in somebody's jawbone, which I thought was pretty cool, which means they were clearly ingesting it. Uh, and then they I feel like on... back in the day, they, like, they, we probably had time. Like, we think we're spoiled now that we can go to, like, a cool dispensary here and just have <laughs> access to all the weed, whatever. You know? Yeah. Back in the day, I bet you could go into, like, some freaking dope medicine little man. shop. Yeah, medicine man place in Greece. And they'd just have walls of like mushrooms, weed. Who knows? They'd have they'd have ergot, acid, psychedelics, and who knows what else. Yeah, and it was like pick your poison. Like you know, modern day Come Vancouver. Come see God, Vancouver, baby. <laughs> yeah. Let's go. Uh, Datura, this black drink. I had never heard of that. Talking about these Mississippi sites. What was it like? They found that these plants were naturally caffeinated. There was alkaloids uh in the it what was it it was like a zombie drug that they had found that he oh, yeah. that he mentioned that modern day uh drug lords have been using this stuff to zombify people i had never heard of that before that was a very interesting point that they were making and then uh you know that right at the end there the, these fresco paintings that they found that not only had Christi- christian christian uh you know, paintings, but pagan paintings. It was almost a mix of like Christian and pagan. It was like you could see that these old fresco paintings, which are underground and hidden, right? Because it was it was sacrilegious to even talk about Christianity in those days, right? It was like it's yeah, a, it's like come on, you guys are outcasts, and so that was interesting. But um, you know, talking about from from Homer's Odyssey. There was a gal, and I can't think of her name right now, the the witch gal who was making potions in the Odyssey. And there was a depiction of that in one of these fresco paintings um, that was clearly a mixture of both Christianity and paganism, which, you know, wow, pretty sweet to come across that painting. Um, That's all I got, bro. That was a good chat. I like it. I liked him. I'm glad he came on. Hopefully we'll get him on again. And, you know, as his classes or, or the, you know, this whole branch of new study expands, I think we're going to find a lot of amazing information about ancient cultures and what they were up to and really what they were capable of doing in terms of um, psychedelics, other drugs, yeah. and just everything that they were using. Uh, I was into it. Awesome. Awesome well, stuff. Todd, thank you as always. I enjoyed it. Um, everybody, thank you. And we will talk to you later in the week. All right. Peace y'all. out, fans. Peace out.